0: Today's guest is Catherine Shea. Catherine Shea is a licensed clinical social worker with over forty years of experience working with children
1: with serious emotional and behavioral disorders, and fetal alcohol and drug effects. Catherine received her bachelor's degree in psychology and her master's degree in social work from the University of Kentucky. Catherine served as the president and CEO of the Florida Center for Early Childhood in Sarasota for 12 years. The mission of the Florida Center for Early Childhood is the healthy development of young children, their families, and their communities. Catherine is a past president of the Florida Association for Infant Mental Health, and she has been very involved in developing and expanding Florida's Early Childhood Court Initiative. Ms. Shea has received numerous awards for her work in infant mental health, FASD, and child advocacy. Live justly, love tenderly, and walk humbly with our God, Micah 6, verse 8. I'm thrilled to have today's guest on our show, Catherine Shay. Catherine, welcome to FASD Hope. Thank you so much, Natalie. I'm so happy to be here. So we were talking just before we started, and I'm so excited to hear your story. And I'm so excited to hear not only your professional experience, but your lived experience as well, because we know that that really matters in this journey um, that we have in FASD. And I'm also excited to hear about what's coming up. So Catherine Shea, Can you share with us your journey and your work, not only with the Florida Center, but um, with your upcoming work and a little bit of your personal story as well?
2: Sure. Um, Well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker by profession, and my expertise is in infant and early childhood mental health. And um, my journey with FASD started 31 years ago. When I was a clinical director of a day treatment program in Albany, New York, that was specifically for children with serious, what was called then serious emotional disturbance, um, ages two through 12. So we actually had a therapeutic nursery for toddlers, um, which sounds so bizarre, but it's true. Toddlers and young children who had um, behavioral and mental health issues. So I, um, I love my work in infant mental health, and I'm still very, very involved in that. And then one day um, in two, 1989, and I don't know how many of you recall this, but we had the, um, the crisis in New York City with, um, with crack cocaine. And We were about 150 miles from the city. We were a Catholic nonprofit organization. And New York City had about 200 babies born a day that were either crack cocaine exposed or fetal alcohol syndrome or combined. And um, so that's really where my journey with our son started and with my work in FASD. And we were asked all of the employees of the organization were asked to sign up sign up as foster parents because they were looking for they had run out of foster homes they had run out of kinship homes and actually these babies were in offices in the department of children and families in cribs so we had a long family discussion with the cat and the dog and our 14 year old and my husband said I don't I don't want to do this for a long time <laughs> and, and I said no, it's short-term foster care. And so that's been our life work. I I did that for 20 years up there. We ended up fostering him. Um, we got him out of right from Harlem hospital, out of the NICU at the age of four and a half months. I knew nothing. Neither of us knew a thing about fetal alcohol syndrome or the long-term or short-term consequences. And, um, and 20 years ago we just said we want to be in the sun and it was divine intervention there's just no other way to put it because my husband hated florida um, but you know our good lord provides and we made the move and i got this great job at the florida center starting the outpatient infant mental health center um, department and it's grown enormously in the 20 years and um and he, you know, that's, that's my, that's my story. And, you know, along the way I've learned from so many parents, um, who have struggled and, and and I continue to learn from so many parents who have struggled and, um, you know, it's just part, it's wonderful to be a part of the journey and to be able to share our experiences and what for us worked and what didn't work. And we're still learning, I mean, I think it's a lifelong journey of learning. Um, But we're so happy to be with others, sharing in the journey. I I do believe, Natalie, we were all called to do this. I believe with all my heart that we were called to be Seth's parents um, and you were called to be your son's parents. And I, you know, I believe and my husband believes that's our mission for our life on this earth.
1: Amen. Amen. I'm just nodding my head as you're as you're talking because I I really believe that so many of us have both, you know, that lived experience that really is just relatable, especially to those families that come that are in crisis and they don't know what to do. So mm-hmm. you actually became a mom of a child with an FASD before you started working for Florida Center, is that correct? Oh yeah,
2: way before. Wow. I was I was, I had been working for the St. Catherine Center for Children in Albany for a number of years. And, um, and then this whole crack cocaine epidemic broke. And, and and as I said, they ran out of foster homes. So they were putting out a plea, 150 mile radius plea to nonprofit organizations to um, enlist foster parents. And Um, We had a foster care department. I was not a part of that. I was with the day treatment program, Um, but our agency was run by a Catholic nun who said every employee will become a foster parent. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if she had the ruler out or not, but it was pretty firm. And um, so we had no idea. I mean, no idea what we were in for. And I had seen every behavior on the face of the earth as the clinical director of the day treatment program. And um, I have to tell you, I never met anything like FAS. Um, And what we are grateful for, Natalie, is that he came with a diagnosis as a baby. And if he had not been born in Harlem Hospital in New York City, we would probably still be struggling with a diagnosis. And that's you know, we're grateful that he came with a diagnosis. We had no idea what it meant or the challenges that we were in for, but it wasn't like we had to figure out what was the matter or were we awful parents and, you know, were we parenting badly or what was wrong with him because we had a diagnosis. And and having a diagnosis is so 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 important. I think as Diane Malvin says, without a diagnosis, it's like driving around Cincinnati with a roadmap of Oklahoma. And I I love that, because I love the metaphor because that's exactly what it's like. You you don't know. And and even in 1989, there was so little written about fetal alcohol syndrome. And FASD was not even a, a terminology at that point in time. And we so heavily depended on Dr. Anne Streisguth out of the University of Washington for help. She was about the only author of anyone who was writing any research. University of Washington, of course, is where the, the initial diagnosis of FAS came from in 1973. And I can't believe I'm saying this, we're in 2020. And we're still trying to raise awareness about the dangers of drinking alcohol during pregnancy, the effects on children that are lifelong. Um, and I feel like I'm still headbanging, trying to get the word to pediatricians and obstetricians and families. And, you know, it, it's a lifelong work. And I, I I don't know, I think we're all I have to believe in reincarnation, because I think we all have to come back and just keep at it um, after this life is over, because there's just so much work to still be done.
1: So when you learned about Fetal alcohol syndrome with your son, and and then with your work, um, there was no mention of what we know now, which is fetal it, fetal alcohol exposure is actually a spectrum and can affect every yes. child differently. When yes. professionally, when did you start to see and hear? the talk of it becoming more of a spectrum. And now obviously obviously we know, because for example, you know, our son is 18 and we didn't really start hearing the spectrum talk until Mm -hmm. he was like close to being diagnosed, which was like, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to say less than five years ago. I mean, like you Mm -hmm. said, the Mm -hmm. awareness of FASD is is still yes. Everybody's still banging their heads. When did yes. you start hearing it about it more in terms of it being a spectrum?
2: I actually think, and I have to look back on my memory about this, but I think it was around 2005 that the that um, the Center for Disease Control and NoFAS actually, I believe it was NoFAS, actually came out with the terminology of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And prior to that, it was called, I mean, the severe end of the spectrum was fetal alcohol syndrome. And then we had fetal alcohol, fetal alcohol effects for those kids who didn't meet the diagnostic criteria for FAS. And then we had alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, there, were, there were four different classifications for what a child could be experiencing related to alcohol exposure. And then um, through the work of NOFAS um, and the Institute of Medicine, they realized it really is a spectrum. And what I say now is if you've seen one kid with FASD, you've seen one kid with FASD because they are all so very different. And even all of those those, those kids that I've evaluated over the years, both in New York and here in Florida, that have full-blown FAS, that meet the diagnostic criteria for having full-blown fetal alcohol syndrome, they're also very different. So you can't, you can't put them all in the same bucket. You really have to look at them individually and look at their strengths and their deficits, primarily in terms of their neurobehavioral um, Um, functioning and dysfunctioning and build on their strengths and um, acknowledge their strengths, but also build and work on their their challenges and their weaknesses in order to get that brain really going on a path of development that it has potential to do. And we have most certainly seen that over the, the past 31 years.
1: So really in the past, and that's that's wonderful to see some progress, to see progress, really in the past, since the early 2000s, um, we're starting to see more of the, the spectrum being discussed and, and fetal alcohol mm-hmm. exposure being on a spectrum. Um, so let's talk about your history with Florida Center because it, it really is a legacy. How did Florida Center become Florida's only FASD clinic?
2: Well, I started a clinic, uh, an FASD clinic in Albany at the nonprofit center I was working with up there. And um, nobody heard of it. I mean, it was, we held our first statewide FASD conference on Veterans Day in 1999. And we had already planted seeds to move down here to Sarasota. And I'd been down on a, a number of interviews. And this is gonna sound very strange, I'm sure, Um, but I had a dream that I could not move to Florida until we held a statewide conference on FASD in Albany. And I just thought that was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. And then um, within a couple of weeks, the director of the New York State Substance Abuse Office contacted me and she said, "I, I saw you do a workshop on FASD um two weeks ago at your center and will you help me do a statewide conference and so in six weeks and this is the truth five people pulled together the first new york state conference on fasd we were we were we we had hoped if we got 45 people it would be a success we had 117 people natalie that came from all over the state of new york the the Northeast. We even had a couple of people that drove up from from Virginia. And the very next day, I got a call from the organization I'm currently working for asking if I would come down for an interview to be uh, the supervisor of outpatient infant mental health. So, you know, if there is, if people don't believe in divine intervention, uh, shame on them because it's if you believe in it and you know that it's there, it's always working for you. So I came down, I did the interview, Um, a couple months later I got the call, I got the job and um, when I came down I had an interview with the CEO and he said so what are your aspirations and I said well I definitely want to you know help the organization build out the infant mental health clinic to you know the the state-of-the-art outpatient mental health and help the clinicians learn how to build Medicaid because that's very critical and at some point, I would really love to start a fetal alcohol diagnostic clinic. And uh, he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but that sounds like a great place. <laughs> and so he supported me in that dream. And, um, and the other amazing thing, and just think about this, our agency was really small at the time. But one of the other vice presidents in the organization had been the FASD state coordinator in Oklahoma. So what I mean, honestly, what are the chances or odds of that? So, of course, the two of us started to conspire and um, convince our CEO that this is what we we needed to do it. And I have to tell you, our school district, Sarasota County School District, said they had never had a child with fetal alcohol syndrome before they got set. And I'm like, really? And I said, but Sarasota has the highest rate of alcoholism in the entire state of Florida, but you don't have any alcohol-exposed children? So that was what we faced. That was a very difficult struggle with the school district. But my CEO hooked me up with two... Um, legislators, Senator Bennett from the, the Florida Senate and Representative Ron Reagan in the house. And they said, let's do it. And I wrote, a, um, a, uh, it was called a community, community issue budget request at the time for $280,000 to start the clinic. And it went complete, completely through the legislature was signed off by the governor and the clinic started in 2005 and we've still got it going.
0: 15 years of awesomeness. That's,
1: that's great. So (laughs) what, what are some highlights of, of your work and just of uh, Florida Center? Um, Because I've heard so many wonderful things about it and um, there's such a long waiting list to, to be evaluated because there's such a need. I mean, that should show so many people have such high regard for the Florida Center. Can you, can you tell me uh, just some of the milestones that you've had in the past 15 years being there
2: oh my gosh natalie there have been so many milestones we've um we've so grown our our infant mental health and mental health department out i'm so proud of our preschool program that's the starfish academy um serving babies six weeks old through five years of age including a voluntary pre-kindergarten program it's an inclusion model so we have children with very typical development learning and playing alongside children who have a variety of developmental delays and disabilities and they can't tell one from another they are just friends and they just love playing together and uh, we have some really high behavior need kids some with fetal alcohol syndrome some with trauma many with trauma um, and so we've had a, we're very fortunate in having a local foundation that funded a, a licensed mental health person for each of our, our, our preschool programs in Sarasota and in Northport to assist the teachers and the, the high-needs kiddos. Um, that is very, you know, cutting-edge kind of work in infant, early childhood mental health consultation. We have developmental therapy services, which is occupational and speech therapy, We absolutely operate on a relationship-based approach. And so when our OTs are doing OT, the families are involved in speech, the the families are involved so that they're learning. It's not just the technique or the OT treatment or the speech treatment. Those therapists are also working on the parent-child relationship at the same time, which I think makes us so unique and I am so proud of. And we have the healthy families program which is a national evidence-based child abuse prevention program we have that in four counties Um, in florida we are so we have some of the highest outcomes in the state in in that program Um, we are now involved in early childhood court and we have early childhood court in 25 circuits in the state of florida and That's a a model that's really based upon the Safe Babies um, Court model from National Zero to Three, where we are working intensively with infants and toddlers, birth to three in the child welfare system, providing child parent psychotherapy, which is an evidence based program alongside the case manager. We hire the team and the outcomes have been amazing in that program. And uh, of course we have the clinic and our outpatient mental health um, program, but one of our newest programs is our school-based mental health program. And that program came um, through funding from the Parkland shooting, which occurred in Florida three years ago. And the school district was was given legislative dollars to work on mental health and security. And they came to us, to our organization, even though we have many mental health organizations in Sarasota and wanted wanted to contract with with us um, to put mental health therapists in the elementary schools. So we, we initially started with seven, that went to 10, that went to 15, that went to 18. And this year we now have 25 specialized mental health therapists in our elementary schools. We have one in every elementary school in Sarasota County. So it's just been so gratifying to me to... Watch the agency grow and the programs grow and the services that we can, you know, make available to our children and our families who are so in need. And uh, I'm just so happy to have been a part of it for so many years.
1: I love hearing your journey, Catherine. It, it just it sounds like such an amazing, amazing journey. And, and not only do you have this wonderful pro- professional experience, but you also have this lived experience as a mom. So. Thinking about those those points, uh, you know, the things that you've experienced, the things that you've encountered both professionally and as a mom, there are parents out there that are hearing this that maybe in their very first steps of wondering how to get their child diagnosed. Maybe they suspect it, maybe somebody has has mentioned it, maybe they've known, you know, from the beginning. We know that FASD does not discriminate any, any child, any, anyone. That's right. Um, yeah. What, what advice can you give to parents and caregivers who are starting out and may suspect that their child or their teen, or even their young adult may have an FASD?
2: Well, the very first thing I would say is trust your instinct. And, um, and sometimes we're so reluctant to do that, especially if If our instincts are denied or discounted by physicians or family members or other people, um, try to get as much history on the birth mother as you possibly can. Um, Sometimes family members of the birth mother are more forthcoming um, or the male partner that the mother might've been engaged with are more forthcoming. But most of all, trust your gut and you know, look at the pattern of behaviors that you're seeing because I can actually pick them out in restaurants right now, seriously. My husband and I are terrible. And it's not just the facial features, it's, it's the neurobehavioral component that is so, so different from many, many other mental health diagnoses. And yes, you see elements of bipolar, you see definitely elements of ADHD, you see elements of oppositional defiant disorder, mood disorders. I mean, really, the whole gamut of mental health disorders can be a part of the picture. But what I say is when you start to see a kiddo or even an adult who has this multitude of mental health issues and, and social issues and learning issues, and holding a job issues and relationship issues. To me, there's only one dial that really points to and that's FASD. And unfortunately, we don't have enough clinics to you know, make the true diagnosis, but my suggestion would be as you always see a neuropsychologist first. They are the ones that will really be able to tell you the brain differences. Of, of all of the other physicians, Neurology can help to find out if there's a structural defect or if there's a seizure disorder. And that certainly lends evidence to the FASD diagnosis. But the person who's probably the professional who's going to be most helpful, in my opinion, is a neuropsychologist. Because of the, regardless of the diagnosis itself, they're going to be able to be able to tell you the brain differences. They're, they're going to be able to say, This is where they're really functioning very well and this is where their functioning is extremely poor and here are some things we can do about it the second person for our family was the occupational therapist speech therapist for sure but the occupational therapist was so just so important in our life at seth um i've not evaluated one individual and i've probably evaluated over a thousand at this point regardless of where they are in the spectrum, spectrum, even those with IQs in their 120s, I have not seen one that doesn't have some sensory processing disorders. And those sensory processing disorders can really interfere with behavior. And the great news is, there are a lot of wonderful interventions that are easy to do around sensory processing. And um, And I wish the schools would learn that more. If if I had my wish list for the future, it would be the schools that schools learn more about how they can help these kids. There's a great quote by an adolescent out of Alaska that says, if I can't learn the way you teach, why won't you teach the way I learn? I just think that's profound.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Because oftentimes we're trying to fit our kids, Mm teens, and young adults into something rather than accommodate that just the way we would accommodate for any other diagnoses, you know?
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: and, and, And I agree a thousand percent, the neuropsychology component and the occupational therapy component really give you insight into you know, executive functioning, sensory, are they sensory seekers? Are they sensory avoiders? You know, um, uh, looking at, you know, not just the five senses, but especially with narrow differences, There's the vestibular and the proprioceptive. And those two really matter when it comes to FASD and other brain-based diagnoses. And we know that as not only parents, but in my previous, you know, in my previous practice, before I became a parent advocate, I was a music therapist for 25 years. And and I saw a lot of young kids in early intervention that, you know, like you, you know, I, I, probably suspected that there was some sort of, you know, we knew for sure that there was drug exposure. But of course, what I've learned is when there's drug exposure, there's almost always alcohol exposure that accompanies it. But because alcohol is legal, it's really not, it's really not discussed as much right. be- because, right. you know, it's, it, it's illegal. So, um, yep. so that, that's a huge thing too, especially talking to parents of younger children, you know, if those sensory flags and, and that's what happened with our son, you know, he was born with medical issues, but then he was okay until he was about two. And then the sensory flags started going up. Oh, and yes. I'm so thankful I had that knowledge to say, Oh no, no, this isn't, this isn't supposed to be happening. This isn't, you know, this isn't Quite right, and and it really wasn't until OT, you know, we met with an OT, and that we met with you know a a team that was familiar with that. And again, we still did not have an official FASD diagnosis until our son was was almost Um, fifteen. You know, we had the sensory processing diagnosis, we had the ADHD diagnosis, we had all the other. You know, I like to call it the alphabet soup of acronyms, um, yes. but, but we did not have that pinnacle cause of it,
2: yep. which was yeah. the
1: FASD. So yeah. yes, yes, that is hugely important. Neuropsychology and OT, and and knowing those sensory issues and challenges and strengths. Our son had a superpower in, in proprioceptive. I mean, he could move a wagon of bricks if I would let him, he, he was that much of a proprioceptive seeker, you know, Um, but in auditory, he was an avoider, you know? So, and, and that's something I love how you're speaking to the parents and caregivers and teachers and professionals. If you're seeing something in your gut, like, you know, a, a big avoidance for something or a big seeking for something that needs to be noted. And that needs to be discussed, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. oftentimes we just either brush it off or we think it's a quirk or we think it's something they'll grow out
2: of. No, it's a symptom. Right. Or we see it as a behavior problem yes. and we want to intervene yes. behaviorally, yes. which is the biggest mistake we could make. Yes. Because we're not, we're not treating and we're not helping them. Doing yes. That. And
1: along those lines and for, for my husband and I, and, and for doing, you know, what we feel like is our calling now with FASD hope for my husband and I really, we felt like, you know, the, the shift in our mindset of going from willful quote, bad mm-hmm. behaviors to these are brain-based symptoms. When we, right. when we got that and when we understood that and when we did training and when we learned and read and everything, and by all means, we're not perfect and we are still learning. But when we got a good grasp of that mindset, that really made a difference in our family, Absolutely. in accommodating and, and realizing that we were making many accommodations all the way. We just didn't realize yes. it, you know? yes.
2: Yes, so almost intuitively you start to pick yes. up on it before you even really know. Yes, But I, ha- I have to tell you this funny story, Natalie. Seth is a sensory seeker um, for proprioceptive and some vestibular, always proprioceptive. So he has now learned absolutely his proprioceptive needs and he goes into our swimming pool and one of the best things we ever did was get the pool um, every single day with a weighted backpack on him. Um, and then, then in the water, it adds extra weight. And I'm like, buddy, that's a lot of weight in that backpack. And he goes, mom, are you not trying to meet my sensory needs right now? <laughs> I know how to meet I my sensory that. needs right I now. Love like, that. I love that. He's, know, a, he's I know. accommodating for himself. That's fantastic. And he knows exactly how to do that. And that just, and I'm like, You know, if another parent didn't understand that he wants to go into the pool with six layers of clothes on or a backpack with weights in it, you know, and they said, no, you know, if a parent said, no, you can't do this, it's not normal. I mean, that would just be so unfair to him. His normal is different than our normal. And uh, yet the best thing we can do is educate.
1: And I think normal's a spectrum too.
2: Honestly, I mean, yes, I have another funny, uh, I have another funny Seth story for you. So this was about three years ago. And um, my my quiet time at night is about 10 o'clock at night after I hopefully have him settle down. And I'm in my bed reading a book and there's a knock on the door. And I'm like, Oh, buddy, what I just tucked you in like three times because he says, no, mom, this is very important. And no, it cannot wait till morning. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, well, he's got that cube. And I said, all right, come in. And, and he has this very sad face on. And he said, mom, I have come to the realization that I am not normal. And my heart just sunk. And I just looked at him and this very sad, you know, face with eyes looking down and He looked up right at me and he looked right in my eyes and he said, and neither are you.
0: (laughs) And oh my gosh,
2: we must have laughed for 25 minutes. And so we we now have a saying in our house that normal is highly overrated. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: In fact, (laughs) I think being out of the box is better. I mean- (laughs) <laughs> and and I think um as a mom, when so when I stopped working, I became a homeschool mom and I embraced homeschooling because we especially in New York, where New York is one of the most regulated homeschool states at the time when we started it. Right. I embraced it. So we were like the renegades. I mean, we you
2: know, <laughs>
1: because it was like you're homeschooling oh, and, and I love it. it. We embraced it. and that was again before our son's diagnosis, but it was an accommodation. And again, like, you know, normal, there's not, there's not much fun in normal. I think, honestly, (laughs) I think that if you're out of the box in whatever way, whether it be, if you're on a spectrum or you learn differently or you're wired differently, or, or the Lord, you know, creates you differently, you know, say, you know, you're, you're, your body is, you know, you have a disability, a physical disability, you know, that different is blessed. I really think Amen. that. I really I think, think that. So, so I- on, on, on a completely different note, well, maybe similar note, congratulations on your retirement.
2: Oh, thank you. I thank you, I, thank you.
1: I love seeing the social media posts and how they did the drive by, uh, <laughs> the drive through. Congratulations, <laughs> yes. that was awesome. So COVID. Oh, so, COVID. so COVID. I just bawled
2: all day. That's all oh, I did. I just oh cried all my day long. Goodness.
1: Oh my goodness. So <laughs> yeah. so tell me about your journey now, and 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 where what you're doing and where you're going now
2: well um actually i think it's a work in progress (laughs) natalie i'm this i'm in i'm in the fourth week of my retirement i feel like i'm still adjusting um it's just so weird after working for 40 years full time and in really pretty stressful jobs um i'm still checking email every two minutes and they've taken me off (laughs) emails at work. I'm like, oh my God, I have no emails. Um, so that that's very strange. But I'm really looking forward to my new journey. I'm continuing to consult with the Florida Center about 10 hours a week to help them through the transition. And then beyond to just do some training and some legislative um, advocacy. I'm also doing some consulting with another nonprofit in town around infant mental health. And I just, you know, I've been appointed to the NOFAS board and I'm really excited about the work I can do there. And Congratulations. our agency is now, thanks, our agency is now a NoFast affiliate. So, you know, I really, um, I want to work with the director of the, of the clinic to see how we can get more involved as an affiliate. So I'm not really sure I'm retired.
1: I think it's just a new chapter. <laughs> <be> <laughs> so yes. congratulations on your retirement from the florida center and congratulations you. on your new chapter
2: because oh, thank you so much I, ha-
1: I have a feeling your work is far from over far from oh, over
2: i hope so oh. I, I i believe as long as we're breathing we should be absolutely making the planet a better place to and,
1: live and i'm going to sneak and ask this this is totally not you know on the script but Will you come back on our show again, maybe next year and update us on everything? Because I I just want the excuse to talk to you again, because I love talking with you.
2: I would love to. That would I be great. I would absolutely
1: great. love to. Yes. I, and, and it'll be a, like a NOFOS 2021 update. That would be a wonderful. Yay! Yes.
2: <laughs> that
1: would be yes. a great topic.
2: Great things to come, I'm sure. And think, for all of
1: us. And speaking of great things to come, what are your hopes for the FASD community now that you're assuming this new role?
2: Oh, gosh, Natalie, I just hope and pray that we get the funding at the federal level and the state levels to really advance this work in prevention and intervention and awareness. It's just so disconcerting to me that alcohol is by far the most devastating drug when when with all the other drugs combined, alcohol is the most devastating um, drug long-term for the fetus. And we still don't have that message out and women are still drinking. And the most prominent group right now are middle-class white women who are earning, college educated earning over $40,000 a year. So my, my hope for the FASD world is that we, we find a way to leverage the political will um, to make this a significant issue in our country and in our states.
0: Absolutely. Even
1: though we've come... A long way. We still have such a long Ugh. way to go. So, and a
2: long way to go.
1: And and I like to say that there are never too many voices in the community of FASD. No. If you have a voice, you know, just like our mutual friend, our mutual friends Lindsay and Spencer Munns in Florida. Yes. If you have a voice, if you have a connection then you use that voice. And, and absolutely. And your voice is important. And equally important, important if you have a personal connection and, and if you're on this journey personally, like you and I both are, then that's just as important because I think that's what gets action going. You know, I think the personal stories, putting a face, putting a family behind the story. That's yes. what gets things going even more so. So I agree. I, yeah. I, I think that's a wonderful hope. And um, yeah. any final, so to the, to the weary parents, the weary caregivers, mm-hmm. anyone out there, just what are your final, what I like to call hope takeaways that they can take from our conversation today?
2: Well, I would say don't be in this alone. Reach out, ask for help and connect with other parents who are going through this because they will be your biggest support. And um, every day is a new day. Learn all you can in terms of the brain-based behaviors, how to intervene differently. If what you're doing isn't working and you keep doing it, that's just called not good, ineffective. There are different ways. And I think we're learning every single day how these interventions can be different. Pay attention to, Seth. Seth will sometimes say to me, mom, you're not picking up on my cues. <laughs> this is like the teacher teaching the teacher, but he's been my greatest teacher. Pay attention to their cues, be an observer, and don't feel like you always have to just react, but watch what they do and what their behaviors are trying to tell you, and ask them what they need, not why they did it, um, or the, the why question is the worst question we could ever ask because they have no idea, but ask them what do they need right now to get calm, to, be, to, to get help, you know, a support to them, but also take care of yourselves. And
1: I'm writing this down. <laughs> I love that. I wrote down fervently, ask what, not why, because that you're a hundred percent right. They don't understand why, because of of the brain difference, because of the, you know, the alcohol exposure. So ask what, and like your son and, and my son are doing that they're starting to accommodate for themselves, which is what we love to see as parents. I know that makes my heart so happy when our children start to say, Hey, you know what? I can't do this. And this is why. So there's, there's hope. And you just gave me the title for this episode. I think there's hope in a new day. And, and, oh, I love that with That I'm going to close out this awesome conversation with Mm. Catherine Shay. Catherine, you're definitely coming back. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is too much fun. You are coming back. I would be delighted. Thank you. Thank you. And for those of you out there who would like to be in touch with Catherine, I'll have Catherine's contact information in our program notes. You can reach her at K. S-H-E-A, that's K-Shea, consulting at outlook.com. And again, I will have that information in our program notes. And also, if you want to reach out to the wonderful folks at the Florida Center, you can do so at www.thefloridacenter.org. And I will also have that contact information in our program notes. Katherine Shay.
2: Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Oh, thank you so much, Natalie, for inviting me. It's been wonderful.
0: Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Vecchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out fasdhope.com or please leave us a five star rating and follow us on Podbean, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us next week and remember to be informed. Take care and always have hope.